0: Welcome to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I am your host, Eileen Budd, Scottish storyteller and tradition bearer, and I'm honoured to be bringing you this podcast, which is a collection of stories from Scotland's folklore, folk tradition and folk history, the kinds of bits of history and stories that maybe you've never heard before, but you should, and I hope you enjoy them. just back from a visit to Lindor's Distillery in Fife, where I was telling stories and meeting lots of lovely people. Lindor's Distillery is beautiful, it's wonderful, but it also has this wonderful history with regards to whisky. The first written record of whisky being made in Scotland mentions Lindor's Abbey, and it is a 1494 exchequer roll which mentions a payment from King James IV to Friar John Corr of Lindor's Abbey for about 580 kilos of aquavita, as it was then known. But we would say whisky today. So it's a very historic place in terms of whisky. And so I thought this week I would tell you some whisky stories. I hope you enjoy them. Slant. Stilling whisky in the Highlands and Islands was part of everyday domestic life in Scotland for centuries. So when it was effectively prohibited in the 18th and 19th centuries, being a whisky smuggler became something of a respected career. Thousands of gallons of illicit whisky was being produced in Scotland and then sold all over the UK. The king even bought illicit whisky from Scotland. Now the smugglers travelled in large groups. And they were sometimes disguised as soldiers and they sometimes had pipers at their head to announce their arrival so brazen they were and they always had access to state-of-the-art weaponry Excisemen, on the other hand were often strangers brought in from down south and they did not have state-of-the-art weaponry sometimes they literally brought a knife to a gunfight the smugglers outnumbered and outgunned them <laughs> Now, because the Excisemen were quite often brought in to Scotland from down south, they were strangers in Scotland and they were easily outwitted by local knowledge, flummoxed by local names and not familiar with local language. So they were outnumbered, outgunned and outwitted on several occasions. And there are notable exploits where the smugglers bundled the Excisemen back into their boats after successfully fighting them and knocking them out. And then they took the excisemen's oars and set them adrift in their own government boats. In Ballandalech, there were over 200 illicit stills in the hillside. So when I say that the illicit whiskey business was prolific, I, I mean it. <laughs> One of those stills in Ballandalech was George Smith's. And he was first granted a license to make it legally finally in eighteen twenty three, and he called it the Glenlivet, which you probably recognise. So a lot of our whiskies in Scotland actually have this illicit background. Because there are so many different characters involved in the illicit whisky trade and production in the 18th and 19th centuries in Scotland, it's, it's really hard to pick just one or two people to tell you stories about. So I'm going to tell you as many as I can, and I thought I would start with this one, which is about Robert Armour, who was a, a plumber, really, by trade. And in 1811, he set up a plumbing business in Campbelltown on the west coast of Scotland. However, this plumbing business was actually a front for making illicit whiskey stills. Now, there is actually quite a lot of plumbing involved in making a still, so, well, that made sense. And he made copper still bodies, heads, worms, and he did repairs and you could buy a full set of still equipment for £5. Now Robert had clients all over the highlands and islands and the central regions. And 53 stills were smuggled to Aran by fishermen. And those 53 stills were installed in 21 locations across the island. And we know this because Robert Armour kept excellent accounting books. (laughs) And over six years he made the equivalent of £167,500 in today's money. Which maybe doesn't seem like a lot in today's money, but back then it was a heck of a lot. And his clients were men and women, and quite often these men and women were working together as part of a much, much larger syndicate which spread across Scotland and Ireland. Now in 1823, excise laws changed, and many of Armour's clients went legit. So there were 31 known illicit distilleries in Campbelltown. And by 1835, just a couple of years after excise laws changed, 29 of those 31 illicit distilleries had gone legit. They had licenses. And Campbelltown became the epicenter of legal whiskey trade. But it wouldn't have happened without the plumber, Robert Armour. So cheers, Robert. At the end of the 18th century, when illicit whiskey smuggling was becoming endemic throughout the highlands and islands of Scotland, the Duke of Argyll decided to take on the whiskey smugglers. And it was during the French wars Grain was scarce, it was getting expensive, and so he decided to increase his rents to make money. In 1800, he announced that barley was going to be given his rent. And to his mind, this meant that it could be prevented from being made into whiskey, And then he could sell the grain onto the mainland markets. However, illicit distilling instead made him poorer and very angry. And the Duke then forced full payment of rent or eviction if the locals did not comply. And one in ten of the smugglers was going to be deprived of their possessions. And the Duke's Chamberlain in Tyree couldn't carry out these orders. He was faced with motherless children, war veterans, his heart was not in it. So it was agreed that tenants should be paid 40 shillings for leaving the island. Now a lot of people took those forty shillings and then stayed put. Meanwhile, the grain was secretly being shipped and distilled in Ireland instead. So then <laughs> to counteract this, the Duke then tried to set up a licensed distillery in Tyree, but it failed because nobody wanted to make his whiskey. In 18th century Dundee, there was nobody better at making peat Reek than Lizzie Rattray. Now, Lizzie Rattray wasn't just the most prolific maker of whiskey and the finest whiskey in Dundee, but she was also extremely good at avoiding the excisement. But she liked to taunt them about that fact, so she would hang up the used whiskey bladders for drying all around her house. And for that reason, her house was called Bladder Hall. Now one day, she was leaving her house, going up the hill to take her latest batch of whisky to the McDonald family, when an exciseman jumped out at her. A man called Maesters. Nasty piece of work. And he stuck his hand right up her skirt to search her. Now even in the 18th century, that was absolutely no way to treat a lady. It did so happen that Lizzie had about 15 heavy bladders of her finest whiskey hidden underneath her skirt. She grabbed the biggest one and she belted him round the head with it. He fell to the floor, unconscious. And then she ran up the hill to and tell the McDonald's all about it. Well, sort of. And the McDonald's sent their boys down and Maesters was never seen again. Although they do say that he's under the Forfair Road somewhere. When Lizzie was in her 70s, she was thinking of retiring. This game's getting too much for me, she said. And the McDonald family begged her to reconsider. And they said, well, the least you could do is make us whiskey for our next family wedding. We're counting on you. You've done it for all of our weddings. Please do it for this one. And she said, okay, last time and so she did, she made her finest whiskey for this wedding. And the day of the wedding, she stepped out of her house. Now, all the excisemen in the area knew that this wedding was happening and they were all lying in wait for her. But when, they, when she stepped out of the house, the, what she was wearing was so ridiculous. I mean, there was this huge skirt. And this ridiculous hat. She looked like, I don't know, Marie Antoinette or something. Yeah, it was so out of fashion and she looked mad. And they just all fell about laughing. Oh, the excisemen just couldn't stand it. They were like, "Ugh, oh, mutton dressed as lamb. Pwah. More like mutton dressed as mince. Now Lizzie just stuck her nose in the air and she walked right past them as they were laughing and rolling around and she walked, like the finest lady you ever saw, right up to the wedding. And they opened the doors of the wedding and in she went and they shut the doors behind her. And once she was inside, she lifted off her huge hat and she handed a massive bladder of whiskey down to the boys. And then she lifted up her huge skirts and she handed out about thirty bladders of her finest whiskey and they say that the party raged in the Hilton for three days. There's a number of agricultural traditions, folk traditions in Scotland to do with whiskey. Uh, One of them is to do with the first time you use a plough on the land. You should on a Saturday, go out with a bottle of whiskey, some bread, some cheese, and you have a wee dram, and then you pour a dram on the plough, and then you take a bit of bread, a bit of cheese, and you tie it to the plough. And then after that, don't touch the bread and cheese. If animals come and eat it, fine. If they fall off, that's fine. But you shouldn't touch it. And then you plough a couple of furrows in your field, and then you leave it. That's your plough ready for Monday and good things will come of it. Now, as I mentioned, because whisky distilling was seen as a domestic everyday chore in Scotland for centuries, there were an awful lot of women who were extremely talented at making whisky and brewing as well. So in 1797, when license duty on distilling forced a lot of legal distillers out of business and forced a lot of domestic distilling to stop, the rise of illicit distilling was just unparalleled, the amount of it. And smuggling whiskey became a way of life, and certainly in the Highlands and Western Isles. And a huge portion of these smugglers were women. And some of them were maids and wives, and some of them were single mothers, widows, or just really talented distillers who enjoyed it and didn't want to give up. About a quarter of whiskey smugglers in Kintyre were women. Now, smugglers had to quite often get their whiskey through really busy areas during the day, you know. So they'd be swarming with excisements. And ladies could move whisky and stills during daylight using cloaks, big skirts like Lizzie Rattray did, and prams as well. And all these hiding places were especially helpful when stills were being collected. Now, the men had to carry the stills in sacks, but women could wear them beneath their clothes. Women could wear like two-gallon belly canteens, simulating pregnancy bumps. They also attended false funerals as mourners at the back and the coffins would be full of whiskey. And then, when the duty on the stools was actually changed, many female bootleggers went legit, such as Helen Cumming, who founded Cardew, and she taught her daughter-in-law Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, founded Glenfiddich. Between 1922 and 1947, Wick was dry. No alcohol licences were permitted there at all. So Willie Thompson of Tanach started his illicit still making his own whisky and he evaded the exciseman so deftly that one day, after another unsuccessful raid on his croft, he played Will You No Come Back Again on the pipes as they were leaving. Mr Rob Scott and Carlop in the Pentlands outside Edinburgh did have his still seized, and the exciseman tied up his equipment to their wagon and stopped for a drink in the pub at Nine Melbourne. Now the landlord of that pub was a customer of Rob Scott and so he was pretty upset to hear that one of his best suppliers was now out of business. So the landlord had a word with his bar staff and as the excisemen were going down the road Helen Barr quickly and silently slipped onto the moving wagon, cut the ropes and passed Rob Scott's equipment to a team of willing helpers. And Rob was back in business that same night. Here are a few other characters that you might never, ever hear about otherwise. So there was Reverend Andrew Burns of Glen Isla. in 1806. He warned all of his parishioners about the excise men if they came into the area. And he did this by riding through the Glen, shouting biblical codes, like the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And minister Peter Jolly at Glen did the same thing. Now there's an illicit still in Glenesque, or there was, many many years ago, up on the hill of the Rowan. And then of course there were the Shabines, which is a dram shop. Epi or lucky thing of Glen Nocht, Rana Shabin disguised as a deli, and she sold local whiskey with her own bread and cheese as a cover. And what she would do when people came in was she would say, Do you want a gill or half a gill? And then she would say that people were buying the bread and the cheese, but they would get the whiskey for free, and that's how she kind of avoided being charged or anything. But to be honest, her bread was really rank and her cheese was nearly that good either. So everyone was coming for the whiskey. And then in the 1940s in Orkney there was a shebeen called the Golden Slipper and this one sold whiskey in teacups. And it was actually the front room of a man called Willie Farquhar and it was still going into the 1960s. And then there were some smugglers like Dan Cook and his wife who surprised and tied up an excise man who was about to shop them for their illicit still. And when he was tied up, they quickly moved their still to a very secret location in a sea cave. In 1860, when excisemen came to claim barrels of whisky that had washed ashore on Arran in the kind of style of whisky galore, a local took the men in for a few drams. And once the excisemen were nice and drunk, he just kept them there for as long as he possibly could. Meanwhile, the locals of Arran outside had emptied the barrels of whisky into wash tubs and replaced the whisky in the barrels with seawater. So when the drunk excisemen came and took all the barrels away, all they had was water. Now we're going to leave reality behind for a minute and we're going to go into folklore. Now there are an awful lot of stories in Scottish folklore about whisky and particularly the perils of stopping to drink whisky on the way home. And this story is from Baloch in Scotland, and I hope you enjoy it. Donald had been working extremely hard all week, and so his boss decided that he deserved an extra treat. On top of his wages, he was given a keg of the finest illicit whiskey. Now Donald was partial to a dram, so he was ecstatic about this. And he went home, and as he was walking home, he decided that, you know, it would be probably quite a sensible thing to do to sit down and just taste the whiskey. You know, just to make sure that it hadn't gone off. You never know. So he sat down on a wee hillock and had a dram. And just as it touched his lips, and he tasted it, and it was delicious there was a huge rumbling noise and the earth began to shake and all the birds were shaking out of the trees. It was so loud and the rumbling so strong and then suddenly, whew, out of the ground beside him burst this huge tree. It was full-sized. He couldn't believe his eyes and then the roots of the tree seemed to reach into the ground and tear it open. And out from the ground there just came these, all these people, hundreds of them. And they weren't tiny either, they were as big as you and me. They were fairies. And Donald wanted to run, but he was terrified. The fear had frozen him to the spot where he thought that's what it was. And the fairies noticed. he couldn't move and they also noticed that he had a keg of whiskey. Now that's quite handy because well if you know anything about Scottish fairies then you'll know they are also quite partial to a dram. And so they began to help themselves to Donald's whiskey and they danced and they drank and they played their music all night until there wasn't a drop left of Donald's whiskey. And then one by one, they all filed back down inside into the ground and the tree roots folded around them and shoo, the tree went back into the ground and there wasn't a mark to show that it had been there at all. Donald suddenly found that he could move again. Oh, and he was so shaken. He picked himself up and he ran all the way home as fast as he could. And when he got into the house and his wife was raging at him because where had he been all night and then she saw the empty cask of whiskey well he told her about the fairies the fairies had drunk it all now I don't know if she believed him do you? Given all the drugs that I've been talking about, I thought it was probably a good idea to tell you a story about a legitimate whiskey maker. And this story begins with a lady called Jessie Cowan, who was born in 1896 in Kirkintilloch. She was born to a middle class family. Her dad was a doctor. Her mother used to take in lodgers to make a bit of extra money. And in 1919, her mother took in a lodger called Masataka Taketsuru and he was attending Glasgow University and he was also touring Scotland, learning how to make whisky, visiting lots and lots of different distilleries. Now he and Jessie fell in love and in 1920, they got married despite the consternation of their families. And then they moved to Japan to found the Japanese whisky industry based on Scottish recipes and Scottish techniques. Jessie changed her name to Rita and she learned Japanese. She took a job teaching English language and piano and she would live alone while Masataka built a whisky distillery in Yuichi. And then World War II broke out and Yuichi distillery became a war industry. Now, Rita was seen as an enemy during World War II, and she managed to avoid internment, but she was classed as a possible spy, and the secret police accused her of all sorts of things, including sending radio messages to Allied submarines, which she definitely wasn't doing. Her home was constantly being raided, and her neighbours shunned her. However... After the war, Rita had a very active role in reconciliation talks between the UK and Japan. The main road in Uichi is called Rita Road after her. Yuichi and Kirkintilloch are twinned towns. And Uichi Distillery is now Nika Distillery, and they are still making whiskey. And it's all thanks to Rita and Masataka. Slander. You have been listening to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you would like to support my work, you can tell your friends, share the podcast, come and find me on Instagram. I am at Eileen Bud. give me a follow. You can buy me a coffee, the link is in my Instagram bio. All the money from that goes straight into the work that I do with the Travelling Folk Museum, visiting schools and museums and libraries all over Scotland to share the folklore and folk history and folk objects that we carry. And that's it. Until next time, here, Brian.